Hi, and welcome to the Living in Harmony Family Ministry Podcast, where parents are at the forefront of raising their kids. We exist to help families create a biblical culture in the home while navigating the culture in the world. That being said, welcome to the show. Well, hello and welcome to episode three of Living in Harmony, a podcast for parents. My name is Delmar. I am Robert. And I'm April. And it's been a good couple weeks hanging out doing this, at least I think. We've gotten enough feedback now to where people who are listening are giving us things they want to discuss. So I am super excited about that. We've got some stuff growing in the background. But before we get into everything, let's start with uh, with the normal. What did you do this week? So Robert and April, what did your family get up to this week? What did we do this week? Uh, we drove to Texas this week uh, to visit some of you know some some family and some family friends that we've known forever and are almost like family. It was just a really nice time to spend uh, with them. And uh, they've got kids that are about the same age as our kids and uh, have known each other literally since before some of them were born. True. And so just getting to hang out with them and, and catch up and let the kids catch up with each other was was very, very cool. That's a long road trip, man. It was a long road trip. But, you know, with our kids, they're older now, you know. And so we had our three kids. We had our oldest son's wife. So there were six of us. And we were looking at, in order to comfortably do it, you know, take two cars. So we decided to rent a 15-passenger van. So we actually rented a a Ford Transit from Enterprise. Party bus. And so, yeah, yep. party bus is what we called it. And so everybody could have like their own. Y'all literally road. rode like the churches go to summer camp. We yeah. did. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Bless and it was, hearts. so we, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how to handle long road trips. And, and that's one of the things, if you can, is have more space than you need so people can stretch out. So everybody had a road that they could stretch out on. And, 15 hour drive. Yeah. And we did start ridiculously early in the morning. Far three thirty a.m. So we could arrive there around eight o'clock that that evening. Well, did you get some Tex Mex or some Whataburger or anything? Oh, we got uh, Papacitos, which is yeah, the best okay, Mexican okay. food um, on the planet. We don't <laughs> we don't like Whataburger. I know that's that's I've never that's, had it. So it's I controversial. Yeah, you're not supposed to not like Whataburger if you're from there, but uh, but we don't. Well, our family this week, we did what is holy and just, and we put up Christmas. There you yeah. go. That's right. It was on on Halloween. My brother, uh, he's with he's he's living with us right now while his house is being built. He's got a house on wheels, but he helped me put up Christmas um, Christmas on Halloween. So the, the trick or treaters know just to like bypass our house. <laughs> <laughs> I just told them, no, we're doing Christmas for Halloween. Here's a Snickers bar. Have a good night. But uh, I had to get on the roof of the house. And I don't know how often you have to get on the roof, especially we have a really steep roof. So it was one of these. Last year, I had to do it by myself. It's so much better when you know you have uh, someone else down there with you. But we got that up. And then last night, we finished getting our tree up. So I don't know how your family is, but in, in our house, whenever you do the inside for Christmas, it's like this an excuse to majorly... Move a lot of things around inside of your yes, house. So yes. yesterday we spent the whole day doing that. So we are in full Christmas That's mode. That's so exciting. Yes. I think we'll be following suit in the next week or so. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of following suit, that kind of brings us to our first segment here on what's going on in the culture. I sent you guys an article earlier this week. It's from a website called She Knows. Um, I would like to see these people define she. We'll get into that as we get into the article, which is is interesting because it was linked here by Fox News. So it had some kind of like random 
you know, source behind it. So I'm like, okay, let's read it. And it's about how these parents, who we would know a lot of them, how they parent their children. And today we are going to talk about objectivity in parenting, meaning there is a standard of truth, how we communicate that there is a standard of truth to kids, what happens when you don't. But before we do that, I'm just going to read a couple of the ones that are on here. We can look at first Will and his wife, Jada Smith, the bastion of wonderful matrimony that that relationship is. And the, what, here, here's what they said. When they parent their children, when it comes to describing how they're allowed to live their life, what they're allowed to do and to not do, he says this, and I quote, you can do anything as you want as long as you can explain to me why that was the right thing to do in your life. That is the Smith's philosophy on parenting their children into becoming adults is you can do anything you want as long as that you can explain why it's the right thing to do in your life. Now, last night, my kids, um, they snuck some candy. They did a really good job explaining to me why that was the right thing to do in their life. Um, another example that, that was really interesting is, I'll just use this one, Megan Fox and Brian Austin Green. They're married. And she said that she was actually brought up in a Pentecostal church and that that was, quote, very, um, it was oppressive environment. But now she says her son, Noah, because she was so oppressed growing up in her Christian family, she's not going to pass on that oppression. So he's allowed to wear whatever dress that he would like to wear, to which he takes her up on that offer. And he often wears other things because um, of her past objectification. And then Alicia Silverstone, who this one, this one kind of hurt because like <laughs> growing up, Batman and Robin was my movie, even though it's so bad. I don't know if you've watched. It's one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah, it's it so bad you watch it because it's bad. She's in it, and I thought it was cool. And then, um, you know, I just in this article it says one of the things that she does is that her baby's very good at communicating it when it needs to eat and when it's tired. But one of the things she does is if your child doesn't have teeth, in order to help it eat its food, she pre-chews her own children's food and spits it into their mouth. So um, Like a bird. Like a bird. And, and, th and this actually goes on and on. And, and the last one I think I have, I have the least like moral issue with, though I think as a parent there's, that's very interesting. But these examples keep coming up over and over again when it comes to what we would call modern era parenting. It's that, hey, child, I want to help you discover your truth and then help you be the best experience of your truth in this world. If I could summarize a lot of it, that's what is put on the platform that modern parenting is. And on the, on the front, we can see why it's bad, but I think there's some trickle down effect into the church. I like for us to get into, but I would like to ask you guys on the front end, how does this strike you this entire conversation about objective parenting? Well, so one of the things that really struck me as I read through the article is over and over each of these instances of these famous, you know, these famous uh, couples parenting or uh, individuals parenting is that they are uh, removing absolute truth and everything is there's a lot of relativism showing up here. You know, if it may be right for you, if you can show me 
you know, with the Smiths. If you can show me how this is right for you, you can do anything you want. I mean, they're removing absolute truth and But what they're replacing it with is is a is a focus on your on yourself. And so it's right. you know, it's not just what's right for you, it's it's you're generating your own truth internally. And you know, that's it's not really a thing that humans are equipped to do. We're, we're just not, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not even psychologically healthy. To do that. Well, and also, you know, there's also the whole, the whole aspect of children are often not even, they're not mature enough, uh, scientifically, you know, biologically, emotionally, they're not mature enough to make a lot of decisions. They, they need parents to help guide them. And it's your job as a parent, it's my job as a parent to uh, per, help show them and point them to absolute truth and to, you know, the truth of scripture. Yeah, there's a reason we have we have age limits on things like, you know, drinking alcohol and, and you know, uh, smoking cigarettes and, and driving you know, and, and certain things that are that are tied to age, it's because, you know, young children aren't capable of of handling those responsibilities. And it's interesting, the more we have allowed children to develop and cultivate their own identity, look what the identity has become. Because if we look historically what a would make up the human identity would be a facet of things, right? It would be um, your family makeup. It would be your faith. It would also be this collective, this holistic collection of who you are. And today, so much of our identity has been narrowed down to just your human sexuality. I mean, and this, this is not, this, this, this is a newer phenomenon in the human race that most of our identity would come down to which gender I am. And unfortunately, that's where parents are spending a lot of their time trying to help their children rest in whatever that definition of gender is. Whereas we believe as believers that our identity begins as people who are created in the image of God. Absolutely. That's where our identity begins. We parent out of that. And because we know that our identity came from a God of order, that our identity in itself has a system of order in it. It's not a su as subjective as we would like to make it out to be. And hopefully as we parent, our, our, our greatest hope is that our we would go from the Imago Day to also being an identified adopted child of God is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. So the problem is, though, when we take all of that out, we say, well, what's left? Well, human biology, naturalism. And a lot of the human parenting experience is naturalism these days. Well, and I think there's a, there's a, a backsided truth on this that we need to make sure we don't lose. And that's that kids are different from each other. You know, and, and so one of the things that, that we had to realize is the thing that worked for our oldest kid did not work for the next kid, right? And, and it can be as simple as, you know, do you, you know, when, they're, when they're babies, do you leave them in the crib to cry it out or do you rock them to sleep? Um, you know, our first kid, we read this book, right? Book said, leave it to, leave it to cry it out. Uh, they'll settle down. They'll be just fine. Worked like a champ with the, with the oldest one. You know, he, uh, you know, he laid down, he cried, you know, he didn't like it. And then 15 minutes later, he'd, he'd give up and go to sleep. Did not work with our middle kid, our daughter. Not one single time. No. She <laughs> would cry 
and continue to cry and escalate her crying and then she'd throw up and then we had to clean her up and then we had to start the whole process over again and so you know there was just no there was no amount of applying what worked for the one kid that was going to work for the other kid we had to treat them differently and I think that's the that's the truth you know one of the things that all a lot of you know all of the 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 lies that the enemy tells us are based on some sort of truth there's there's some aspect of truth that's buried in there and I think that's what you know the the truth that's buried in a lot of this right now is that humans are different people are different and and families are too and I think we'll get into that later but you know you can't just so you can't just cookie cutter you know from kid to kid and 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 expect the same thing to work it might it might not um but that doesn't mean that there are no rules and there are no principles you know there there are there are guardrails that that are part of the created order part of what god has has given us part of that imago day part of you know our our identity as humans that that we can apply to or we that we can apply to different situations uh, but we still have to be able to adapt that differently. So just to kind of push for clarity in that area, there is an objective standard that we hold that we have. But sometimes there is a more nuanced approach to parenting our children toward that standard. There is a more subjective approach because we're all individualized. But the the difference is that we do hope to push them all towards the same reality, right. same same truth. There is no your truth and and just to 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 close the loop on that that illustration i was using about getting your kid to go to sleep the objective reality is kids need rest right kids need to be able to eat they need to be able to sleep they need to have do those things to be healthy because they're human and so the goal is get your kid to sleep properly in a way that doesn't make you go insane as the parent right um and so but there may be different ways to get there yeah that doesn't mean we say, well, my child identifies as someone who doesn't need as much sleep. Correct. So therefore, he doesn't need as much sleep. And the only reason he's cranky is because, and then we follow a different path to make this up. It's a complex thing whenever we try to start redefining what we are. And one of our greatest hopes as parents is to help our children understand who they are. I mean, let's say that again. Like, And y'all feel free to push back. But one of the greatest things we've been challenged with as a parents is to help our children realize who they are, not necessarily come up with who they are, but who they are in Christ, who they are in Christ, who they are as a human. We know that every child has a different path in life. Some are going to be doctors. Some are going to be teachers. Some are going to be, you know, surfer dudes, right? There's going to be different paths, but they all exist for one purpose. That's to glorify God. Absolutely. Right. And we cannot our kids cannot glorify God if the path they're choosing is a way that would go against his word. So when we are helping them discover who they should be in Christ, it needs to be someone who is pursuing the things that God would have them pursue in their life, that their identity is not being wrapped in and like, can, you know, totally overhauled with this thing that is antithetical to scripture. So as parents, like that's our, that's our biggest hope. I'm not forcing my kid to be something, but I, I want to show my child this is what someone in Christ looks like. And I think that even just, I think it parallels with, um, you know, the church as the body of Christ. There's a lot of different parts to that. And then, and 
people are not all the same. Like, you know, the body of Christ is not a whole bunch of noses and, you know, just like the, in the same way, but there's still, there's still truth and there's still, there's still the church. And so, you know, with our, with our kids, there's going to be variety and differences in what works with one situation with one child may not work for another, but there's still, everything is still, um, grounded in the truth of, of scripture. And that doesn't change even if there's a, even if there's some variety, you know, within what that looks like, it doesn't change. The truth. There's so much wisdom in that, in that illustration of the body of Christ. And, and another layer to it is, uh, and, and we've had this, uh, actually it, it, it's come up in, in previous discussions here, but, but having other families who are, are, uh, farther along in their parenting journey than you are. And that's what we hope we're doing here is we are, you know, taking some of the wisdom that we've gathered and, and passing that along. But we had that, you know, over and over again, um, as we were bringing up our kids, we had, you know, people would, that we would know, and we would look at their families and say, okay, I want that for my family. I want, I want what they're doing, what, what I'm seeing success. Their kids are older and, and, and something about what they're doing is working. Teach me, what is it that that's there? And that's part of being in the body of Christ. That's part of being in, you know, in the church and in the fellowship and, and showing up and getting to know people that you can look at the families and not see them just on their best days, you know, from nine to 1030 in the morning or on Sunday mornings or whatever it is, but you get to see people, you know, in the, in the wild as it were and, and figure out what's working for them and, and, and how can we, how can we adapt that again within the, the context that we're all following Christ? Yeah. So if we move, in that context, we also know that you're going to have children who have friends whose families are not believers. And one of the things that I think it's, it's important for us not to look over is how do you help your own children make sense of parents who parent differently than you? You know, so if your child comes home and says, you listen, my friend at school or whatever, their mom says, as long as they can explain why they do what they do, they can do whatever they want. And that's why, you know, that's why Rachel, her boyfriend's allowed to spend a night with her because she's able to make this excuse. How do you parent in such a way where it's not like I'm slinging mud at that other parent, but there's also their standard that parent doesn't hold to that we hold to. I'd love to hear how you would. Well, I mean, honestly, the way sometimes things like that did come up, you know, as we were parenting our kids. And I think that, um, you don't, I think you do a disservice if you try to gloss over it and just say, Oh, well, you know, that that's different. I think you, you hit it head on and you say, and you explain, like we've had to explain before. Well, um, this is what God's word says. And we point them back to scripture and we show them what truth is. And when you look at this situation, whatever situation it is, you look at it through the lens of what does God's word say about this? And it really doesn't matter what other people's kids or parents allow them to do. Um, it doesn't, that's not going to legitimize those things if they are going against scripture. And then I think you have to talk with them about, you know, these that's an opportunity for your, for your child to, to be a good influence on that other person. But I think you have to explain to your children, your children, well, you know, they may not be following Christ. And if they're not Christ followers, um, something that a, a friend of ours said once that I think is a, is a really good thing to remember is don't be surprised when not God's people behave like not God's people. 
And when we expect those who are not following Christ to somehow still have their lives looking like, you know, what, what God puts forth, you know, as, as a, as a way to, to behave and to conduct yourselves. I mean, I think that, I think that that's a wrong way to look at it. And that's a good opportunity to show them what it looks like when a family is following Christ versus not. And even within that, you know, being able to say, okay, that's another family that is following Christ, but they are, they're, they're applying it differently than we are. And it gives you a chance to, to teach grace early and to say, okay, they, uh, you know, they watch these kind of movies and we watch these kinds of movies. And, you know, maybe you can, you can go back to a principle and say, okay, there's a, there's a, uh, an aspect of, of that movie that we don't want in our family. But maybe it's just, you know, maybe there are preferences. Okay, they play soccer and we play basketball and, and it's and, and that's not a right or a wrong thing morally. It's just it's it's a it's a way that we um, prefer to to behave. And and that goes back to that illustration of the body of Christ. And it's the the, the more I think about that, uh, the, the the cooler it is. Um, because yeah, not everybody is a thumb, not everybody is an ear, not everybody is a nose, but you have to have all of those things. And not every family, you can take that, you know, up one level of, of abstraction from the individual to the family. Not every family is a hand, right, with, with fingers. Maybe it's a foot with toes. But but that's that's a, a good way to see it. And that's something that, that, a, that a child, even even a really young child can understand. Hey, I can't walk on my hands. I can't brush my teeth with my toes. You know, I can't, there are certain things that I can't do. Well, our family is a hand and we do this and their family is a foot and they do that. Uh, and, and God uses all of those things within his body. Yeah. And even in, even, even in that conversation alone, we see that they're still identified as part of the body. A hand doesn't, it's not making up its own identity as a hand. And one of the things that I would just press on is Teaching objective truth, you want to know why one of the reasons it's being rejected right now is because it is harder. It is harder to parent, especially in our culture, that there are standards and that 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 we don't even get to make up these standards. Mom and dad don't even get to make up these standards. It's more difficult because I don't get to look at my kid and say, well, whatever completes you. Right. You know, and what we see is that this it really does get pushed down into the DNA of our country and the DNA of our church. I mean, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness right there. That last thing, as much as I do love, you know, our country, that's the thing that can get so easily. Okay. Well, Bruce, well, let me figure out what does it mean for me to pursue happiness? And if, if I'm literally living for that, then what ends up happening is we pursue a life that's not pursuing Christ. And it's actually April and I and Robert, we were talking about this past week. What's the greatest thing a Christian pursuit should pursue? It's Christ. Like, let's be very clear on that. The greatest thing that a Christian should ever pursue is Jesus Christ. When you're parenting your, chi your, your child, are you parenting Christ in that? When you're helping your neighbor, are, are you parenting toward Christ in that? This is what we're supposed to be doing. So when we talk about parenting, when we talk about doing these things toward Christ in an objective nature, it's so important that we root it in there because, like we determine, you catch no flack anymore from being subjective. I, my wife went to a coffee shop in Florence, South Carolina this past weekend, and it's a very 
uh, what did she used to wear? Progressive coffee shop. She said it was one of the best mochas she'd ever had, right? <laughs> but she said the name brand of their coffee was called Countercultural. Oh. And she said she looked around the room and she saw everything. She goes, this is the least countercultural place ever because this is the culture right now. And when you choose to parent your child by God's standards, what you're saying is, I'm signing up to be outside the culture, right. in it but not of it. Let me throw a different, you know, a, a, a different way to look at that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, because you said a minute ago that that it's harder to have the standard. Well, yes and no, because you know one of the things that it, it is harder in one sense to go against the culture, but at the same time, you have a standard that you can measure against. And then the other thing is, you know, a lot of the things that that the standards that God has given us, he's given us in order to protect us from things that happen. That doesn't mean, as we talked about in the sermon this morning, that doesn't mean you'll never suffer, but it does mean that there are certain things that, that you, that you will avoid if you behave properly. And so sure, you know, it might be a little bit more difficult to, to form those, to form those guardrails and to, to kind of, you know, to, 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 to coach the kid into a, you know, a biblical version of identity rather than just say, do whatever you want. But at the same time, it takes a lot of pressure off. Now the kid doesn't have to create his or her own identity, you know, from, from nothing. It's like, no, this is who you are. This is what God's created you to be. And so in that sense, it, it, it gives you a security and it gives you a safety and it gives you something to, to hold. So it's like, it may be challenging, but at least you know what the challenge is. Right, because you you know the standard. I mean that that's a fair fair point because, you know, if there's a problem in your household, you don't have to say, well, I just think you shouldn't. You get to say, well, this is the standard we believe in as a household, um, and because if it's just I just think you shouldn't, it's your child's word versus your word, and now it's an arguing match. And how many arguments have happened in families because the mom and dad just disagree with the child? Whereas if we were to take it to God's standard, say, hey, what is the standard? Let's go find out what that is. And then let's try to have a conversation toward that. It changes everything. And, you know, honestly, if um, just going back to the to the um, Will Smith and, and what you know they said with their kids, um, if you're saying you can do whatever you want as long as you can show me how that's good for your life or right for, for you personally for your life, if your standard is always God's word, and that's what you hold everything against, then kind of in a weird way, you know, you should be able as a kid to go back and show this is this is good for me because in scripture, this is what this says. You know, it's, having that standard will will help them as they are making choices of how is this good for my life. If they've been taught that the standard we hold everything to is through the lens of scripture, then as they make those choices and they're looking at what's good for their lives, you know, even growing up and moving forward, that's what they're going to filter it through. Um, Absolutely. So let's let's go ahead and summarize it up really quick. Catechize your kids. <laughs> yeah. We say it every week. It's on the church website. It's on our it's on our um, show notes every week. But uh, and I think a lot of times people hear that word and they get really put off. But that is the most should be a normal word. All that means is you're asking questions. And with a young kid, it looks like just here's the question. Here's the answer. With teenagers, it gets really fun because it's here's the question. Here's the Here's the conversation. And then if you are parenting, 
On the other side, of, guess what? You get to ask that question yourself, have that conversation with the Lord or your spouse and talk about how does this impact our life now? It's it, They're really good. So catechism. Now, that being said, let's talk about what we talked about in church this week. We are in verse 18. And today, I thought Pastor Dan hit hard. He hit close to home. I thought it was very relevant because it was about suffering. And he, and he was talking about why is suffering and pain so important? And this is, <laughs> this is such an important conversation, especially today. Because if you're, if you're a parent listening today, this is what the collective culture around us uses to purchase their worth. Right? right now, our culture believes in what is called intersectionality. Right, Intersectionality is it works like this. However many different oppressions you can stack up on your own self, you have more of a right to say and be the thing you want to be. So if I'm a white, heterosexual male, I am a dime a dozen. I am an ant, right? But if I am an, uh, a non-white, transgender, minority religion from the bad part of town who didn't have a mom growing up who's brother committed suicide all these different oppressions now i get to stand up and i get to say hey this is the truth this is this is reality meanwhile simply because of having a different status in life you don't have certain worth this is why this conversation is so important this isn't going away this is um this is known as critical theory right it's intersectionality it's that everything intersects together and whoever has the most uh minority or oppressors is the winner. So it's actually a lot backwards than in, in throughout history. In history, you wanted to rise above. You wanted to be the conqueror. You wanted to be. Now it's no, who can steep the lowest? Because if I can steep to the lowest, now I have the most intrinsic worth. And this is why we want to have this conversation because why does suffering happen? It's real interesting because our culture sometimes doesn't even ask that question anymore. Our question says, I got to go find out where I can find me some suffering so I can have some worth. Mm -hmm. So I love to hear y'all's perspective on just the, this whole idea of suffering in our culture, in our students' worlds, in our kids' worlds, and where that's taking us. Well, I think there's a... A, a desire to avoid any kind of suffering at all costs. And, and that's very, very damaging. And so, you know, we look at things and, uh, you know, situations where, uh, you know, college professors will say, oh, the, the, the kids, if they, you know, there's certain schools, if they want to take it, if, if it's time to take a test and the kid feels traumatized by the test, it's like, oh, no, you don't have to take that test. You can go, you know, you can go sit in the safe room and, and, and not have to be, uh, not to have not not to be challenged by that by that test, uh, and we see this we see this in a in a thousand different ways across our culture. But what that does is it 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 makes you weak. You know, suffering uh, produces you know scripturally suffering produces perseverance, which which leads to godliness, right? And and we know that, and we recognize that in physical fitness. Uh, we know that you have to, you know, you have to sweat to get stronger. If I want to get, if I want to be able to pick up really heavy things, I've got to start with slightly heavy things and I've got to pick them up and put them back down over and over again. And that doesn't feel good. Um, and, and if I want to run a long way, if I want to run a marathon, I've got to start by running around the block and I hate running. So I really don't want to do that. 
uh, but we we have to we have to recognize that there is a purpose um, in in you know, there's enough of a purpose in suffering that we can't just say because you're suffering you need to avoid that circumstance. And we do live, you know, what, as our kids grow up, suffering the nature of their suffering sometimes changes. Now, obviously, some children experience a great amount of suffering on the front end. We can't predict sickness. We can't predict death. But for many kids, suffering is, you know, this past week, I hear, oh my gosh, I hear like crying upstairs. And if you ever hear like crying in your house, come from nowhere, you're like, this is not good. I go up there, my middle child is lying on the floor. I'm like, oh no, he didn't snap something. I said, what happened, man? He said, I stepped on a Lego. (laughs) And I said, exactly, exactly. Now you can identify with your father. That's why Jesus came to identify with, no, I didn't go into all that, but like that's, but oh, that, I will, I will, I will, but you know, but that's kind of the point though. It's, it's what is suffering in your house? How do we help our kids manage it? Because if we don't help them manage it, what our culture unfortunately is teaching them now is it's not about managing the suffering. It's about expressing your victimhood within the suffering because if i can be a victim then i get a pass from ever being the perpetrator of it or from ever actually having to go around it you know um i remember whenever i used to go to the gym a lot when i was in newberry one day i snapped my back and if you ever snap your back while you're doing squats Mm. that will put you out And I remember like for a month not being able to go into the gym and then eventually getting to the point where it's like, I can't go to the gym because I hurt my back. And then I like next month went by, well, I hurt my back. I don't want to hurt again. And then I was convicted of all my, you're just being literally a victim right now. Like your back is fine, but because this thing happened, you're using this as an excuse to not go back to the gym, <laughs> to not succeed. So I ended up having to go back and eat crow because I had to start back over because I took so long being the victim. So so how do we, what are some areas, you know, that we help our children move through this area of being a victim? Because at, hello, sin exists, we're all victims, but ultimately we're all perpetrators because Christ is the victim for our sin, you know? So how do we help our kids manage through this one of the things that's important is uh, and this is difficult is is to convince them you know with starting in in verse 18 there i consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed so there's a principle there that says the there's something in you know there's something in the future that makes what's happening to me now worthwhile there's a good thing coming uh, my future self will appreciate that, and and that's really tough for for kids to understand. Heck, it's tough for adults to understand. And so to to be able to to teach our kids to do that to to start early with um, you know with with things as young as they possibly can. No, you can't have this cookie now, but but you know dinner is going to be really excellent or something like that. So uh, to be able to to start working on that principle. Well, I also think going back to, you know, what you just said before, catechize your kids. And when you teach them at an early age and they start, you start to teach them answers to things and things they can recall quickly, that can also, you know, help when they're in a, in a situation where, you know, maybe they don't understand something or it's it's difficult to process something, but there's some, some truths that they can uh, quickly pull from. And as, as we parent and help our kids understand suffering, 
how important is it that we allow our kids into our world of suffering? I'll never, you know, my, my mother right now is having to be pretty much the primary caregiver to her mom. And my grandmother had a stroke on when the day my oldest child was born. And the last year, year and a half, especially year, my grandma's been pretty much virtually non-responsive. And I have watched my mom suffer. And I think one of the things that I've learned as a grown child is, you know, as a parent, sometimes I want to be so tough all the time. But it's been helpful for me to even see my own mom say, I, I, I don't even have the strength for this right now. And... I think for me, it's it's caused me to want to pray for her more. It's called me to rely, you know, see her rely on Christ more. But as a as a child, what's how how do we bring our children into our suffering, if it may? Um, because some parents bring it into their children into the suffering way too much, right. where their kids go around talking about their parents' stuff all the time. How how have you managed that in the past, or how would you say Scripture? You know, as we parent towards this future hope of restoration, the scripture saying here that the spirit is groaning for, that our creation is groaning for, how do we bring our kids in on that conversation in a healthy way? I, th- I think that you're correct that too much bringing them in along that that journey, um, it may not be the best idea, especially the younger they are. But I do think that it's important. I definitely think it's important that we take those opportunities to help to talk with them about certain things that are difficult for us and that we may be, you know, suffering through, um, because it helps, we can't model for our children what it is like to, to lean on God, to depend on God, to rely on God and for our hope to be in him. We can't model that for them if we're shielding them from all of the instances where we are, you know, saying, you know, Lord help, you know, kind of like uh, Dan was saying in the sermon today, sometimes you just have to say, Lord, help me. I don't even, you know, have, have the words right now. And so I think that, um, you know, letting them see, I mean, there was a time, um, it's been many years now. Um, it's been, well, let's see, 11, maybe 11 years ago when, uh, Robert was going through a, um, significant, um, career change, but it was leaving one, one career behind, because, you know, we felt as a, as a family and as a married couple, we felt God was calling uh, him in a different direction there. So it was on, it was done in faith, but it was um, uncertain. And so it was walking away from one thing without the promise yet of, of the next thing coming. And so um, for me, you know, that was a season where for a while I didn't handle it well, you know, I was worried and uh, realized that, um, I was struggling so much with it because I was um, looking for the paycheck as my security as opposed to, you know, God as my security. And when that when I, that hit me square in the face, that reality that that's what was going on with me, I was able to just surrender everything over and, and let go of my own, you know, fears. But my children were there. Well, our children were there. They watched the process. And so they were able to see us pray together. We pray, we brought our children and they also prayed. My kids prayed for, you know, that, that job to, to appear. And so, you know, when it did, the circumstances were pretty wild and, and, and interesting. Um, and, but 
I still remember my daughter to this day saying at one point, I feel like I'm watching a miracle take place and unfold. Mm -hmm. But had we shielded them from all of that, they wouldn't have seen how God just, you know, he just knocked all the obstacles over and in in his timing and his way. It took him a while. We, 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 we marinated in that, in that season for, for longer than we thought was comfortable for Mm -hmm. sure. But we've been able to look back on that time after time. We still we still look back on that and say, okay, there's a situation where we were doing what God called us to do. And it was very clear to us that that continuing on the career path I was on was not what he was calling us to do. And but he didn't give us, he didn't immediately, you know, it was like get out of this, but he it took he took a long time to give the alternate the alternate uh, explanation or the alternate the path and but but again the kids walking through that gives us a stake that we can look back on in the future and so now when we say you know we go back to to the passage and say hey look we know that that there is some future hope there remember the thing that happened to us back then when we couldn't see it because we weren't on the other we were we were on the other side of it we couldn't see it yet but god had it for us we just had to we just had to wait for his timing and and that sort of an illustration just really you know it, it really allows us to 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 pound that home in in our kids hearts what i what i love about what y'all just said is you took real suffering in your life to teach them how to suffer in theirs. That's really good parenting because a lot of parents, we don't teach our children how to suffer until they've incurred the suffering. But what you said is, I'm going to incur it on my behalf so that way you can learn from that. And I, and I will also say this, and maybe there's even one parent needing to hear this. There might be someone listening right now. And the best thing you need to hear is that there you need to go ahead and incur some suffering right now to save your children from future suffering. You know, I mean, I'll be as, as vulnerable as I can. I keep a daily journal. And then just this past week, I saw that one year ago this week, my wife had told me to leave the pre- my previous place where I was. She saw the signs. There was lots of things going on that you two know about. And it took me, what, uh, 10 months to catch up to what my wife was saying but granted, like what we were just sharing, the Lord provided an exceedingly clear way to where I could leave in such a way where people would, it would, it would benefit others as well, which I feel like it did. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point being, I called a former student of mine who's a friend now. His name's Corey. And because his he has left where I was as well for similar reasons that he had seen behind closed doors. And he had told me probably six months ago, Dell, please, for yourself, I know you're scared, but you need to. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, no, because that's a lot of suffering. But in their mind, they're like, well, what do you call what you're doing now? <laughs> but but here here's the point I'm driving toward. I ended up, that decision, we ended up making that decision, stepping out. And then Corey and his wife called me and she was in tears. And I'm like, I barely know his wife, Grace, but she's just, she's a really godly girl. And she goes, I'm just so happy. I was like, why? She goes, because your kids are young enough to not have to remember the misery you were in. Mm. Your kids are young enough 
to not have to hear the stories that your wife heard. And your suffering right now has prevented future suffering. And on the way home from church last week, my son started telling this most beautiful Bible study. And I'm, I mean, Bible story. I mean, he was given like all the random nuances. <laughs> and I'm like, where did you? I looked at, uh, my hand was like, do you teach? I was like, no, where'd you? Sunday school. Nice. Wow. And I will tell you, sometimes us sitting in suffering to prevent future suffering is sinning. And we, and we need to just allow ourselves to move through that. Trust the grace of God because your children need you to be in a stronger place, even if that means you have to go through a weaker place first. And today I want to share two things that Pastor Dan shared in the sermon that is so, as someone who's lived through this, I know you have lived through this. I know many people who listen resonate with this. The hopes that we have from God in suffering, first of all, is that thing. It is hope. It's the confidence and the assurance that things will get better. Even if it's not in this life, it's the next. But the difference is it requires perspective that to know that it's going to get better. Um, I love the illustration he used. It's like a woman having a baby, right? Like a woman, why do they sign up for childbirth? That's like one of the most painful things ever. Because they know what comes after that. It's that hope. And then another thing that, that we need to, to realize that we have, this is so important, is we have help from the Holy Spirit when it comes to our suffering. According to this passage, like verse 26 here in chapter 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know what to pray, He intercedes. And have any of you ever been praying um, over your children maybe or in a difficult season in your life and you're like, Lord, I got nothing? No words left. I got no words, but I know that there's, I know that there's a need. Yeah, been there. How do you feel when you let that prayer go? Well, <laughs> I, I don't. I I think that um, I think it's a really, I think it's a really good thing for parents to be able, um, and just people, and even with parenting or even with without parenting, but to be able to be, um, to be able to pray. Sometimes you have to pray, Lord. I. I don't even know what to pray, but I thank you, you know, that the, the Holy Spirit knows what to pray. And when we don't have anything left, I mean, it's kind of a reminder to me that it's not all about us anyway, you know, and um, nothing that we encounter as, as people, as parents, nothing we encounter catches God by surprise. He's never surprised by the circumstances, whether it's the mountaintops or whether it's the lowlands, as you know, he was talking about in the sermon, um, the, the times of suffering or not, nothing catches him by surprise. And then ultimately the, the lingering thought I'd like to leave is suffering in your family, in your personal life with your kids, you can see it as the struggle and the pain, or you can allow yourself to see it as the invitation that it is. It's an invitation to intimacy with God. Because when you have no place to turn, you, you, you realize, finally, this is where I should have been the whole time to the extreme degree. But then also it leads to intimate, it can lead to intimacy in your family. It can, if you allow. Because, I mean, we, we had to explain to our children why Daddy and Mommy were leaving the, the last church. That was hard. Yeah. 
that was very difficult because how do you share big complex adult thingies with kids who just play and, and do something you know so it invited us into intimacy and actually there are times when we'll be riding down the road and my son will ask a question now and actually his his questions have actually matured and I'm not making this up. His questions have matured because of the conversations we've been able to have about why we are where we are now. So I want to encourage you today, you know, suffer well as a parent. Um, as we talked about, if you marry that with the first part of our conversation, suffering, knowing there is an objective standard. Yep. Man, th that is like the secret sauce. <laughs> secret sauce. How about this? Today, let's, let's take it all down, shake it with one... Big question got for you. Ready? Worst places to take your family on vacation. <laughs> do you know how many places you I, Yes, I do. Okay, go ahead. When when I was um, when I was in uh, middle school, we went on a uh, trip over Thanksgiving break. Um, it was a road trip, which I'm not opposed to road trips, but it was a road trip from Texas through all the way to California going through places like New Mexico, um, we went to, I think the, the Grand Canyon, which was amazing, but then we went to like Death Valley in, in California. Okay. okay, Death Valley in California. There's a reason it's called Death Valley. It looks barren. It's just like everything. It's not ever. awesome? It's, it is not awesome. Not, not in my opinion. If you don't, I don't like scorched earth, no signs of life and you wonder like okay how much water do we have in the event that you know oh my gosh it, it was so barren and i know there can be some beauty in some of that um if you like that kind of um barren death rust rusticness but for me i was like this was miserable i might we have family pictures to show i was very not happy not smiling at any of them so i I've would never take pictures. my kids oh. i would never take my kids to death valley california yeah i think i think trying to you know, how many times have we gone on a vacation and come back and said, wow, I need a vacation to recover from my vacation. Mm. You know, so it's, it's really easy to overextend and say, I want to do a zillion things. And, you know, I never want to waste an opportunity. So if I'm a place, I want to go see 47 different things and all the museums and I want to read all the plaques and all the museums and it drives my kids crazy because I want to stay and read everything. And they're like, dad, we got to go because it's time to eat. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think the worst place for me I've seen you take your kids on vacation is a place that only you love. <laughs> because um, you'll have, you won't even have fun because they're not having fun. Right, right. Um, mismatch between what's, <laughs> between what, what uh, the kids can handle and what you actually are going to do. Exactly. Oh, yeah, the place only <laughs> you love. Uh, it's kind of like when you give your wife, you know, the new grill for Christmas. Oh. It's like, oh, we know why she got the grill. Cause, <laughs> yeah, because I'm cooking. Um, but I have not been here. My brother has, and he and he has given because he's a, he travels the U.S. and he says he was so excited growing up. He always saw south of the border signs, <laughs> and he said they road tripped and went to south of the border, and Ooh. their expectations were curbed so fast when they got there. They're like, "How is this place any kind of?" A, he's he actually stopped short of saying he thinks this is a place where drug deals happen. He's pretty sure. <laughs> It's a legal activity. And for those of you that uh, maybe are not local to our area, just Google south of the border in uh, what, South Carolina, North Carolina, yeah, yeah. and you'll see what he's talking it's about. It's crazy. So, 
Anyways, this has been good. We're going to be back next week, chugging on through Romans next week. We are talking about the golden chain of salvation. So that will be really whoop, whoop. fun. So, and how we can uh, flesh that out in our family. So that being said, I'm Delmar. I'm Robert. I'm April. Cheers and amen. Amen.